You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We all watched in horror in July as chaos exploded in Kabul as the United States withdrew from our 20-year war in Afghanistan. The images of mayhem at the Kabul airport dominated the 24-hour news cycle for days, and we heard about the valiant and tormenting attempts to get people out of the country who feared their new Taliban rulers would come after them and possibly kill them. We're now learning about one of those efforts with direct ties to Michigan. Michigan State University had dozens of people in Afghanistan affiliated with the university when the country fell. According to Bridge Magazine, its effort to get 77 of these folks out of the country is likely the largest of any university that ran programs in Afghanistan. Here to talk about what that effort looked like from East Lansing and from on the ground in Afghanistan are two people who were involved. Kurt Richter is program director of Michigan State University's Grain Research and Innovation Project, or GRAIN. Kurt, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. It's great to be here. And uh, Sarah Kaderi is an agricultural science scholar with MSU's GRAIN Project, who was one of the 77 people evacuated from Afghanistan by MSU before U.S. troops withdrew this summer. Sarah, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello, and good morning to all. So, Sarah, uh, I want to start with you. Give us your background and how you ended up working for MSU in Afghanistan. Uh, Okay. Uh, I'm one of the scholars of uh, MSU uh, University, and um, I was in second semester of my master's degree when uh, we left Kabul, uh, and we uh, were about two years with MSU. And when did you start to realize that uh, your life might be in danger in Afghanistan? Uh, originally, I'm from uh, uh, I'm from uh, capital province of Afghanistan. Uh, before the Taliban take the control of Kabul, uh, the center of the Afghanistan, they have taken the um, the control of our province, Kapsa. Uh, so in uh, our district, especially in our district, Nitrop, on here, uh, some of our relatives um, were on here, and uh, the Taliban knew that uh, from them that uh, I'm, I'm working with a U.S.-founded uh, project, and I also uh, working with an uh, NGO. Uh, so among before the Taliban um, uh, came in and sized the Kabul, a letter appeared on the doorstep of our house, uh, in our house in the Kabul city. Mm. On uh, that letter, uh, they mentioned that uh, they will uh, treated me uh, with the kidnapping and uh, killing me and my family because I work it with a U.S.-founded project, and they call it and this letter me uh, the spy of uh, the American. Mm. Uh, Kurt, can you talk about grain and its work in Afghanistan and how you felt here knowing that Sarah and the other uh, folks who were affiliated with MSU might be in danger if they stayed? Yeah, sure, Stephen. First off, Uh, the, the grain project was focused on helping Afghani 
researchers, scientists, and scholars be better at producing science that will allow Afghanistan to produce more wheat to feed its people. We were focused solely on building the capacity of individuals and researchers and universities to be able to be better at producing more wheat, which is the staple food crop in Afghanistan. 60% of the daily calories consumed in Afghanistan are from wheat and bread-based products. When we heard the situation deteriorating and saw it deteriorating in Afghanistan, we became very concerned very quickly. Um, we, our assumption was that our scholars like Sarah and our staff who worked directly for MSU in Afghanistan would be at risk simply because of their affiliation with our project, which was funded by the United States Agency for National Development. Mm. And when we heard the facts of like the Sarah, like the letter that Sarah received, that gave us um, every reason to work really hard for many, many days to do all we can to get people out of Afghanistan. So, so Kurt, why was the Taliban specifically interested in targeting people involved with your program? It wasn't just our program. It was all programs. Um, the Taliban was not receptive to a couple of things that Grain is quite proud of what we did. One of them is, you know, using U.S. government funds to improve the situation for people living in Afghanistan, the poorest of the poor. And the other thing, Sarah's an example of, we valued and took great pride in the fact that we were educating women to be future leaders of grain research in Afghanistan. And, you know, education of women is, well, put it mildly, not a priority of the Taliban. And our program was designed to facilitate and support and nurture the next generation of female agricultural researchers in wheat science in Afghanistan. Mm. Mm. So, Sarah, I want to go back to you. Uh, you and the other 22 grain affiliates had just finally gotten inside the Kabul airport when the suicide bombing that killed more than 70 people Uh, exploded outside. Can you describe what that scene was like and what was going through your mind at that point? Uh, Yes. Um, First, uh, the first time that I received an email from uh, uh, from a state department, uh, and on that email they said that uh, came to the camp Sullivan um, next to the airport. Uh, so I um, I managed to go to the camp, and when I uh, went here, there was a full of rush of people. Uh, also. There were uh, more than uh, 2,000 people were trying to uh, enter to the airport and um, to um, get closer to the gates. Uh, but um, uh, there was many rush of people and um, there was um, uh, a gunfire and uh, tear gas. They have used tear gas and um, uh, the, the Taliban um, won't allow people to go to the gates. But... Uh, um, it was on um, 18, I guess. Uh, um, I uh, I have tried to get, to go to the final gates and I reached um, become uh, to the final gates, but there was no food, uh, no water, at least to survive. Mm. But 
I prefer to be on here and waiting to uh, reach um, me to the um, American stuff. But unfortunately, on this date, I can't do that. Um, so I came back to the home. Uh, another day, um, it was uh, 25 August, and um, um, the MSU manager um, uh, with airport that we can um, go to the airport through the uh, cars. When we were in the uh, cars um, for this um, to go to the airport, um, the Taliban don't allow us, um, and we were wait for about uh, 12 hours uh, inside of the airport, and we have tried many times to go to the and to enter to the airport. But unfortunately, uh, we can't do it because Taliban don't allow us. Uh, we go to the another door of airport, which was controlled by um, government. On this door, we was able to uh, go to enter to the airport. We was, uh, when uh, we came um, succeed to the uh, to go to the uh, airport on when uh, we there was um, also rush of people because um, we have we have to be wait for the biometric on that place uh, we just uh, hear some sound uh, fire sound and um, uh, we informed um, that there was um, an alert and uh, they informed us there is an attack from the Taliban they were, um, they have attacked airport you know it was. It was a very scared feeling and it was very bad feeling because we um, with the very in the very hard situation we can enter to the uh, airport we were, were uh, entered to the airport there was a Taliban attack we have uh, and they stopped um, the American staff stopped the working and we should um, be wait on this night in the in the airport and we have waited. Uh, for about uh, 10 hours on the airport until um, the, uh, until everything was normal and they uh, again started biometric and after passing biometric we were able to go to the plane hmm. uh, I mean it just sounds so frightening and uh, I can't imagine the kind of uncertainty that you were facing at that moment. Um, Kurt, you experienced something similar when you were in South Sudan in 2013. Uh, tell us how that went and how it might have informed your efforts to get your colleagues out of Afghanistan recently. Yeah. Um, it's When you're in a situation, uh, you're being evacuated. My situation is different from Sarah's. I, was, I did not live in South Sudan. I was there doing some work. Um, and everything you do, all your sole focus is getting a seat on that plane. Mm. And there's two ways to think about that. As a person who's being evacuated, you want to do all you can to make sure you do everything you can to get onto that plane. But for people outside of the situation where I was in this situation, it's invaluable that you have people who are working as hard as they possibly can to secure you a way out of the country. Um, evacuations are not orderly. They are um, chaotic, and sometimes the success of being evacuated has a lot to do with luck and being at the right place at the right time. It took us multiple attempts to get our people through the gate, and once they got through the gate, they faced another long 24-hour period of getting onto a plane. Um, it's not 
there's never one silver bullet to getting through an evacuation out of a country like this. Mm. It takes a lot of time and energy of working the problem from as many angles as possible. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, I want to thank Sarah Kaderi for being with us uh, to tell her story about uh, escaping Afghanistan. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Kurt Richter, Program Director of Michigan State University's Grain Research and Innovation Project. Talk about this kind of work around the world, how dangerous it is, and how scary the situation was and still is in Afghanistan. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you have joined us. I'm talking with Kurt Richter. He's program director of Michigan State University's Grain Research and Innovation Project, or GRAIN. Uh, he was involved in MSU's efforts to get 77 people out of Afghanistan as the U.S. was withdrawing from its 20-year war in that uh, in that country, uh, we'd love to hear from you during the conversation. As all as always, uh, what are your hopes for those who've been forced to flee Afghanistan during the U.S. withdrawal and the Taliban's takeover of that country? Do you hope most or all of them will be able to make new lives here in the United States? Uh, also, what do you think we owe the Afghans uh, after waging war in? their country for 20 years. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also also, uh, go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter uh, and uh, put comments there, as always. Uh, Kurt, I want to talk just a little uh, about what the federal government should be doing or should have been doing uh, to help with this, could this have gone differently if there had been uh, something more proactive? Yeah, um, that's a really good question that many parts of the U.S. government are asking itself and reflecting on this period of time. Um, I don't think anybody inside the U.S. government expected the Taliban to move as quickly as it did across the country. Um, that being said, there were... The situation was chaotic, but behind the scenes, there was a lot of really good people inside of the U.S. government that were working the problem really hard. And um, it's the work of those individuals that made it um, possible for us to do as much as we did. Um, you know, nobody had a crystal ball to see that what the Taliban would, how quickly they would move or how quickly the government would fall apart. But once that situation became apparent in the reality, um, I was personally involved in working with people on Capitol Hill and the State Department and DOD who were working really tirelessly to make the best of, the, of a bad situation. Hmm. Uh, 
a lot of times when refugees take on entry level or hourly work below their qualifications just to get by when they're in a new country. Talk about your efforts and the efforts of others to try to make sure that once these scholars are here in the U.S., they'll be able to support themselves doing work that's on par with the qualifications and the work that they were doing before. Yeah. Um, well, there'll be very few of them who will be able to work at the qualifications the level they did before. However, um, there's an opportunity here to begin to work with these refugees to prepare them to become um, active, important parts of U.S. society. Um, And that means really figuring out how we can work with them now to prepare them to step into skilled and semi-skilled jobs in the United States where they're going. The United States is a big place, and these refugees are going to be going all over the country. And MSU is working with some folks in Washington, D.C. to put together a, a, a system where we would be able to begin training refugees based on where they're going for jobs that are available now. Mm. Um, you know, the United States has a long history of incorporating refugees, and, uh, you know, we're excited to see that continue. So I also want to talk about the program that you were running there in uh, Afghanistan, what its status looks like now, and what you anticipate will be possible uh, now that there's a different government in charge and, uh, you know, the U.S. has not uh, got the kind of presence that it did before. Is is your work itself in danger? Um, our work in Afghanistan has stopped. Um, hmm. We are, our offices have been closed and we are in the process of um, the staff that remains. We're finding ways to, um, you know, provide severance and support the best we can from afar. U.S. government regulations banned groups like any U.S. government funding to be paid to support the Taliban. And so, therefore, any form of taxes, payroll taxes, employee taxes, anything like that, that can be going to the Taliban, um, violates U.S. law. And so because we are not a program that specialized in humanitarian assistance, you know, providing food or health care to the poorest of the poor, um, our program is like Afghanistan is stopping. However, our program supporting the long-term degree programs, we have students, in school in India, and individuals like Sarah, who we evacuated, who we're working to find ways to continue their long-term education. Hopefully, one day, um, after their education's over, the situation in Afghanistan returns to some form of normal. They might be able to go back to Afghanistan and continue their, their research, or they'll be able to enter a, a, a new home and do that at a, at a higher skilled level than just a of refugee without the education. Hmm. Hmm. Um, uh, meanwhile, of course, Afghanistan is going through another drought, and there's a serious yeah. concern that people there will soon begin to starve. Um, do you have any hope that the research that you're doing and the work that you're doing can can help, or are you relegated to the sidelines and watching like the rest of us? That's a good question. 
um, our research could have helped. We were working on helping define and select wheat varieties that were highly suitable for growth in Afghanistan. Now, to do that, you need a functioning Ministry of Education, Ministry of Agriculture, and you need, uh, you know, researchers and universities working. Um, to the best of my knowledge, those systems are no longer functioning in Afghanistan. And if those aren't functioning, that work will not continue. Mm. Mm. So, so it's bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also want to ask about the status of uh, Sarah Kadiri and some of the others who escaped Af- Afghanistan. Uh, we didn't get to it when we were talking with her, but uh, she's now waiting for visa for a visa in Albania, and that's a process that we all know can take a long time. Uh, you know, it can take years, in fact, to get that uh, that going. Um, uh, how are you feeling about her future and the others? who escaped, who may be also waiting for uh, a way into the United States uh, and, and uncertain about how that might happen. Yeah. Um, the people that we rescued, the, who are the refugees now in Albania, have a, have a tough road ahead of them. They've lost everything they had, um, and they are now in a country that they do not know or waiting for visa into a country, in the country they do not know. For the scholars like Sarah and her peers, we are working with the um, United States Agency for International Development and the Agricultural University of Albania in Tirana to get them enrolled in a new master's program in English that would prepare them for um, you know, further education and be transferable to uh, or recognized by Europe and the United States. For my staff who we evacuated, we're working on getting them into the United States um, as quickly as possible with the necessary support to allow them to get off to a quick start in the United States. Mm. Um, They're waiting for what the State Department calls a P-1 or P-2 visa to enter the United States, and it could take a year. And we're looking for options to get them into the United States as quickly as possible, but also with the type of support that would allow them to get off to as fast and best start as possible as refugees. Yeah. And and what about the future of your program when it decides to go to other countries? Um, mm-hmm. is, it, is it now, I guess, not advisable to choose countries that are unstable, although, of course, those are the countries that most need the help uh, that, that, that you're offering. Uh, but does this change the calculus, I guess, that, that you use to decide where to go and where to engage uh, the people who are, who are working uh, in your program? Yeah. 99% of the time, my work is very boring. My friends think I live this glamorous life getting around the world working on these programs. But in reality, I go to conference rooms and sit in front of my computer and listen to PowerPoint presentations most of the time. It is not dangerous. (laughs) Um, However, um, you know, Michigan State has a land-grant institution. Um, We have a model for education and outreach and economic development that is the best model in the world. 
And those of us, there are some of us inside of Michigan State University who we feel it is our um, part of our mandate to help other countries be better at educating their populations. And that's really what we're trying to do with our program. And um, there's lots of countries in the world that need um, our help. And those of us in Michigan State who do this work, we're dedicated to continue to do that. Now, fortunately, we very seldom end up in situations like we had in Kabul or like what I ran into in South Sudan. And so um, I, don't, I don't worry about those types of events. But I will say that this event showed me the capacity of Michigan State to rally around and support a group of individuals that are at a crucial time of need. I'm very proud of the work that we did at Michigan State to get these people out. Mm. Okay. Kurt Richter, Program Director of Michigan State University's Grain Research and Innovation Project, or GRAIN. It was really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when legal scholar and author Anita Hill is going to join the show to talk about her new book, Believing, Our 30-Year Journey to End Gender Violence. And we'll look at a new study that finds Michigan does a really bad job collecting data on our criminal justice system. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer. The program director here is Joan Isabella. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And our associate producers are Nora Ryan and Sam Corey. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.